0: I'd like you to open your Bibles, please, to Revelations chapter 2. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit works. Sometimes we do pray that He would work within our lives and in helping us, but we really sometimes don't believe that He does. But if you examine the whole entire service and the words, the pastor who led us this morning, you realize that he was talking about love, love for God, the love that God has for us, and therefore in response, as a result of the love that God has for us, that we ought to love him, that we ought to love him. And this passage we're going to look at today talks very much about that one thing. And so let us read it again together. I mean, I'll read it, I'll read it to you, just follow Hear now, brothers and sisters, God's word again. To the angel of the church of in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and now you cannot bear those who are evil, but I've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found to them to be false. He who was an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, overcomes, I will grant to him to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. That ends the reading of God's precious and infallible word. You remember last Lord's Day that we looked at a passage in the book of Colossians written by the Apostle Paul. And our subject was the preeminence of Christ. The preeminence of Christ. Not that Christ is not prominent, but Christ is preeminent. And Paul talks to us maybe about four major areas in which Christ is preeminent. In the first place, he says Christ is preeminent in creation. Christ is preeminent in creation, that he created everything. He created everything that we see. But also he created things that we don't see, that we are yet to see maybe in our lifetime. But the most important phrase there is that Christ is not only preeminent in creation, but Christ, everything that has been created here on earth and in heaven, everything, you and I, everything that we see was created for him. All things were created for him. And secondly, we looked at the preeminence of Christ uh, through the church, and we looked at how Christ has really uh, died now now stayed and he's been uh, preeminent over the church he's the firstborn of all creation he rose from the dead and the whole idea of christ raising from the dead is that he might redeem for himself a people And the last passage we looked at is she's talked about his uh, preeminence within the christian life within the christian life and that's where god works his greatest work in the christian life and he's preeminent, even the Christian life. He has redeemed each one of us. That we were alienated. All of us were far off. We were worshipping idols. We were far off in our hearts. And the scriptures tells us that the Lord pursued us. While we were yet in our sins, Christ died for the ungodly. That what would happen? That he might be able to redeem us. And so we be part of this great corporate body. The body that transcends race, the body that transcends color, the body that transcends nationality, a body which the writer in the book of Revelation says that uh, God opened his eyes and he looked into heaven and he saw all these tribes, all these nations and people from every tribe, nation and tongue, all gathered before the throne of God. Why was that possible? Because Christ was preeminent in the Christian life. But I want to remind you that Christ is not only preeminent in the Christian life, that he just did that work of of salvation and he redeemed you, justified you, and that's it. But he continues to do his work. But sadly so, as we're going to look at this passage many, many times, the redeemer of our soul has to remind us, has to woo us to the most important thing. Christ's preeminence over the Christian life has arisen. And Christ's preeminence of our Christian life is that we, in response to what he has done for us, that we might love him with all our hearts. Love him with all our hearts. The church in Ephesus, he writes to it. This is our Lord Jesus Christ looking at the churches, the seven churches really which are not to be read in isolation. I believe that they were meant to be read. All of the books will be written to the old churches, not read in isolation, but gonna only go because of the time, we're gonna look at only one church here. But the church of Ephesus was really in a very central place. It was a city which had approximately twenty two thousand two hundred and twenty five thousand people. It was a great shipping port and stood at the crossroads of the then known world. It was a cosmopolitan town. It was actually in those days called the light of Asia. It was the vanity fair of the ancient world because it was the wealthiest and the greatest city in all of Asia. It was the gateway to Asia. It was a tourist attraction. People came from everywhere to come to this city to trade and to have fun. And then not only that, but also it was a great worshiping center. It's where the Temple of Diana, a temple dedicated to the worship of the fertility god Diana, a temple was staggering 425 feet long and 220 feet wide. This temple was four times the size of the Pantheon in Athens. This was where the church that we're going to look at this morning was situated the church was personally begun by Paul. Remember in Acts 20, he began this church. And after Paul left that church, he had built up disciples. He was there for three years. He left, he passed of the church and then left Timothy, his disciple, to continue pastoring that church. This was a church that, God, that Paul loved. Remember that parting passage in the Acts 20 when he was saying goodbye to the elders of that church. The scriptures tell us there that they all wept. They all wept when he said that he would not be able to see them again. And so the church was very prominent. The book of Ephesians is written as a result of that church. When you look at the book of Ephesians, a wonderful, wonderful epistle that Paul writes in the book of Ephesians. But now, fast forward, we, the God looks back to this church and he finds it wanting. There's many things that are going on for this church, but really their priorities were now mixed up. They began so well. They began on a good footing. But then slowly by slowly, they began to drift away. Like many of us, like many churches in our century, they begin out so well with a wonderful foundation. But as time goes on, people begin drifting away. Even with a Christian life. Nobody ever gets, become a Christian that just shoots up every day. But sometimes we, we begin to, just the fire begins to, run out and so they are their, their, their priorities mixed up. A Christian uh, in the same way as Christians, a Christian who are, uh, can write, learn the right things, can do the right, right things, he can even think the right things, but sadly so, might have his priorities messed up. It is evident in our text this morning that it, uh, if the church does not change it can die and lose its focus completely. You see, brothers and sisters, the, the world is such a dark place. And the world needs the light of the Christian church. And so the reason the church exists, the whole reason the church exists, is that, that it might be the light and the salt of the world. There's an indication in the scriptures that this does not just happen right away. It's subtle. A church to lose priority. The Christian life to lose priority. doesn't just happen in a day. It's subtle. It comes slowly. One day at a time. A minute at a time. And all of a sudden you look back and you're thinking to yourself, How did I ever become so indifferent to the one who has loved me? How did I become so independent in my spirit? How did I have all this apathy? How did I lose the impact to the world that God meant for me? my friend that's what exactly happened with the church in ephesus they were doing all the right things but sadly so there's god the lord jesus christ who is lord and preeminent of the church he looks at them and he condemns them condemns them and the idea of condemning them is not that they would be lost the whole idea of condemning them is is again the the woeing power the 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 passionate power of the pulling love of the Lord Jesus Christ, the whole idea was, I want you back. I love you so much that I want you back. I want you to get away from where you've gone. You have gone so far. I want you back. I don't want to lose you. Remember what our Lord Jesus Christ said to to the disciples, that all that the Father has given me, none will be lost. None. And as you hear these words this morning, I want to let you know that you have perfectly security in the lord jesus christ that you will not be lost that he is going to pursue you he's going to go after you until the end he will not lose you he's holding you when you go far away he will go after you and this morning i know that many of us is going to go after our hearts and our priorities so what was this church well there were some things going on in this church there were wonderful things. And Jesus Christ commends them. He doesn't begin by condemning them, but he begins by, by commending them. And the first thing that he commends them was this, that it was a dutiful church. It was a dutiful church. He says in verses 2a that I know your deeds and toils. I know your deeds. In other words, the word I know there in the text, in the the Greek, is the word oida. Oida means full and complete knowledge. Jesus has full and complete knowledge of his church. Jesus has full and complete complete knowledge of our souls. He knows where our souls are. He knows where everything else is. And so he says, I have complete knowledge of this one thing, is that you are a hard-working church. You were a hard-working church. It was a busy church. When you became a member of this church, you got to work. It was a serving church with different programs for all members. They toiled and liked to get dirty with things. They were everywhere busy for Jesus, but sadly saw Jesus say, I commend you for being dutiful. I commend you for being everywhere and serving me and, and doing all these works. I commend you. But sadly, he says, I have one thing against you. You have left your first love. You see, friends, if it's all about what we do, we will drift. And I know there are many, many people in churches around this country who are tired. Why? Because they're doers. They do. And there's nothing wrong with doing, but all they do is do. But sadly, so they have left the first love. The second thing in the text that we see, it wasn't only a dutiful church that was so involved, but it was a, a determined church. It was a determined church. And it says, and you have persevered. They were committed. The, 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 the whole idea in the Greek is that they had had hardships in the past, and they had continued in spite of their hardships that they had in the, fa- in, the, in the past. In other words, they did not allow any external pressures To weed away, to come in as weeds in this church. They had no part-timers. They assembled every Sunday and had a worship service that was organized. But something sadly was missing out of the commitment or determination they had. Jesus says to them, determination is okay, but not in half. You have left your first love. So it was dutiful, it was determined. But I want you also to notice that this church, it says in verse 2 again, that it was a devoted church, that you cannot tolerate evil men. They were devoted to God. That no one in this assembly that did not walk the way of God, they tolerated. They dealt with sin. They did not compromise with sin. They were separate Christians. They were disciplined in 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 their practice of Christianity. They had church discipline. And today we can say that they practiced the five marks of a biblical church. They knew all, they knew, they called sin, sin. There was no compromise. You see the church in Ephesus was situated in a place where it was really easy to compromise. There was adultery and sexual immorality, two great pulling powers in that city but the church remained holy the church remained devoted to god and they would not entertain anything that would take the mind from god but you know friends being devoted is a wonderful thing being devoted to god and not entertaining sin in our lives is a wonderful thing but jesus sadly he says yes your devotion is wonderful but you have left your first love Number four, the church was built on sound doctrine. The church was built on sound doctrine. Remember in the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 20, Paul tells this church that for three years I have told you everything that you needed. So this church lacked nothing in terms of teaching, lack of doctrine. Listen, the apostle Paul planted the church and made the foundation. What a great foundation that they had! They were sound in their doctrine. And you've put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. It was built on sound doctrine. The church had wonderful grades in the area of doctrine. They were sound in their doctrine. And their litmus litmus test on doctrine was that they endeavored to teach their members the correct doctrine so that their members would not be sucked in by those who call themselves to be apostles. It was a pure church. You see, friends, one person says it's easy to have great opinions of God, but yet be on a wrong t- trajectory. It's, it, it's easy to, to have all your doctrines right. But sadly so, Jesus standing to you and saying, but one thing against you, you've left your first love. And fifthly, he says to them, you were church in distress but within your distress, again in verse 2, you have not given up. You have persevered and you've endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. When everybody else is drifting away in Ephesus, when everybody else is drifting away in the state of Texas, in in the city of Ferrisburg, you have not grown weary. You've endured ridicule. You've endured distress. They have been chastised, laughed at because of their association to Jesus. And Jesus does commend them, but sadly he says, overcoming distress is a wonderful thing and sticking up for my name's sake is a wonderful thing. But one thing that I have against you, you have left your first love. I want you to notice something here we have to understand jesus has no problem with everything that we just mentioned as a matter of fact in every congregation is expected it's expected that god's people will be able to be dutiful determined devoted have right doctrine and in, in terms of distress to overcome that is distress all of that is expected but there was something that was missing and that missing ingredient was that they had left the first love The word forsaken, your first love, means that they had left, departed, forsaken, disregarded, gone to another place. They have left something behind. They were doing all these wonderful things, but left something behind. They were a passionless bunch of Christians doing things for Jesus, had taken a place for loving Jesus. How often that happens. Doing things for Jesus takes away loving Jesus, which is the most important thing. You see, friends, as Leon Morris said, that they had yielded to the temptation even that is present to present Christians. They had put all their emphasis on sound teaching in the process lost love, without which all is nothing. Without the love of a Savior, all is nothing without passion for the savior all is nothing you see it is possible to go through all the emotions all the performance but have no but have lost the first love they are without intimacy of relationship what was missing is their first love it was, it's not that they didn't have love at all but they had lost their first love in other words they have become so self focused in their existence life was more important their own lives and what they do had become more important than what Jesus than loving the Lord Jesus and i think everyone here who has been a christian for any number of times know that this happens in every christian life that we slowly drift away and we are, yes we can be able to come to church yes we we can pray yes we can give yes we can do all these things but slowly by slowly let get the focus away from Jesus and put the focus on doing things for Jesus. I know that many of you know the play, My Fair Lady. My Fair Lady. Eliza's being courted by Freddie, who writes to her daily of his love, his undying love. And the response of Eliza, the response in the letters, is, is a cry of frustration. He says, words, words, words. Don't talk about stars burning above If you are in love with me, show me. Don't talk about the lasting. Don't talk of love lasting through a lifetime. Make no undying vows. If you love me, show me now. Show me now. And there are times when our hands and our legs and our mouth is not connected to our hearts. You see, my friends, Christ does not call us to work. Christ calls us to worship. I want you to remember that. Christ doesn't call us to work. Christ calls us to worship. And worship is not just coming together on the Lord's day and doing corporate worship. That's just part of it. But worship is all of life. That Everything we do, because Christ is preeminent over all life. Christ is calling us to worship in all of life. In other words, Christ is calling us to be, he wants to be number one in everything else we do. There should be no competitor with the Lord Jesus Christ. Worship is all of life. He's looking not so much about what we do as much as how we worship, what we worship. I remember many years ago listening to Major Ian Thomas and he had a way of putting things in a way that just really got you to, got to the heart. And he said this, he says, don't tell me about what you're doing for Jesus. Don't tell me what you do for Jesus. All I want to know is, what is Jesus doing through you? What is he doing? Is Jesus at work? Are you loving Jesus? Don't tell me what you're doing for him. Are you loving Jesus? Let me ask you a soul-penetrating question this morning. Can you truly say this morning that I'm passionately in love with, with the Savior. Or can you say, I'm drifting. I'm drifting away from the Savior. There may not be any particular scene, but I'm drifting away from the Savior. And one of the marks of drifting away from the Savior, really one of the marks is that you, you just lose interest in everything. You, you, you are pathetic. You, have, you lose any kind of feeling towards anything. And, and one of the things is, you, you, one of the signs is that you stop loving the brethren. You stop loving the brethren. You stop loving what is important. You stop taking granted what Jesus makes as priorities. You make them secondary. And Jesus says, I want you to return. Brothers and sisters, God loves us so much. God loves us so much that he is pursuing us this morning and he's saying, I want you to return. And he doesn't leave us in the same place. He doesn't leave us condemned. He is encouraging us. He says, you're doing all these things right, but I want you, this is the one thing. I, I like the Bible because he, he doesn't have a hundred things. It's the one thing. And if you talk to any Christian who has been walking with the Lord for a long time, they will always tell you walking with the Lord is about just one thing. Paul in the book of Philippians says, it's just one thing. I'm pursuing one thing. The goal of the Christian life is not what we do. The goal of the Christian life is Jesus. It's Jesus. And so if we remove Jesus from the Christian life, we don't have the Christian life. And we can't live the Christian life. And the Christian life will be passionless. No excitement. And when the excitement, we lose the excitement. Let me tell you, friends, when we lose the excitement, we lose the capacity to be the light in the community that God has called us to be. It dawned on me this week as I was looking at this message. I came to this conclusion, and I think I am right. That love for Christ, love for Christ is the greatest witness to the world. Love for Christ. That if you live and move around a bunch of Christians who love for the Lord, they will witness for Jesus because they love Jesus. Is that how much you love Jesus? All Jesus is just a footnote on everything that you do. I've been a pastor for some time. And my first pastorate was a church that I believe that had come to the point where it had lost the light. Really lost the light. I remember really the first week I was preaching and I remember seeing two men in that congregation reading a newspaper on Sunday morning on the Lord's Day. Reading a newspaper. They lost it. Lost it. Lost it. What does Jesus do? You see, Jesus is a great physician. He's preeminent over his church, preeminent of the Christian life. I love Jesus. He does not leave us where we are. In the text, he gives us some remedies. There's something we can do about it. The great physician gives us a diagnosis and also prescription. He's saying there is hope, the problem is solvable, you love, your love has grown cold but not completely out and there's something that you can do about it. And what can we do? If I find myself that I have lost that first love, I'm not passionate about loving Jesus. You know, he says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. I'm not par- what, what can I do? Well, the first thing he says, I want you to remember. I want you to remember. This past uh, two weeks ago, it was our anniversary. 10 years anniversary. We got married here in Texas 10 years ago, 27th July. And as that day was getting closer, I reminisced. I looked back. And you know what? When I looked back, it was just a wonderful looking back. And as I sat with my wife in the bedroom, we said, wow, 10 years. And I know many of you might say, yeah, right, 10 years. But where I come from, 10 years is a big deal Married to one wife. My father had seven. My grandfather had five. My great grandfather, I don't know how many he had. But here I am, the first Christian in my home, first generation Christian. God saved me, changed me. And here I am, 10 years, one wife. So as I look back, I remembered the grace of God. Oh, we had such a sweet time of remembering where God has taken us from. And the growth. And looking back and saying, look at how much God, thank you for your grace. Look at how much we've grown. The reason for, your, for anything, you know, brother and sister, the reason for your ministry, remember, me mean, means uh, it really, we must look to the history. Remember what, is, what this is supposed to be. He says, remember when you did not have everything that you had, but you had me. That's what he's saying. Remember when you didn't have a ministry. Remember when you didn't have anything. Anything. Remember when you had nothing. And all you had was me. Remember that. He said, remember that. I don't know where I learned this, but when I'm doing premarital counseling in my country, and people come to me, not only members of our church, but they come to me and, and they want to do premarital counseling. The first thing I do for them is I turn around the chairs and I tell the, 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 the husband-to-be, would you share your testimony with, this, with your, bride, your bride-to-be? And so they share. It's just exciting. They share their testimony. And most of the times they become even teary, remembering where they've come from. And then I ask the woman to do the same thing. And then we begin the premarital counseling and sometimes nobody asks me, why do you ask us to give your testimonies? Because I know that a few weeks later or even months later they're going to come back. And guess what? When they start having trouble in their marriage, remember, guess what I do? When they come back, the first thing I do, would you turn your chairs, would you share your testimonies to each other? At first it's hard. But I'm telling you, when they begin remembering where Jesus got them from, my counseling is done. So, brothers and sisters, remember, remember, remember that you spend time to time on, on serving, and you you spend time on me not serving me. You see, it's pos- it's not possible not to love the Lord at all. It's not, but love can grow dim. What do you do to keep the memory fresh? You remember, you remember how he pursued you. You remember where he got you from. You remember when you had nothing. You remember when you were lost in your sins. You remember when the gospel came to you. You remember when you you were blind and you could not see. You remember him. You remember justification. Remember that he died in your stead. You remember all of that. And when you remember his great love for you, it's almost impossible not to fall in love with him again because brothers and sisters the scriptures tell us that we love him because he first loved us do you remember god's love for you so he says remember 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 the second thing he says is once you've remembered because when you remember where where you were you remember i'm far away i'm way way far away He says, repent. Repent. Turn around. Turn around now. Come back to me. Repent of what? Sin. The only thing repent of is sin. Lack of love for the Lord is sin. Repentance means change your mind in order to reverse from the wrong direction. You know the story of a fanatic. The fanatic is someone who increases the speed in the wrong direction. He says, I want you to turn around. Don't speed to the wrong direction. I want you to stop. And I want you to turn around. You see, a friend of mine said to me, he says, Gerald, our life is a series of moments in the presence of God where we either turn our face to him or our backs to him. A series of moments, life is a series of moments where we're either turning our backs to him or turn turn ourselves to him. I wonder this morning whether you're turning to him. Every moment should be, I'm turning to you, Lord. I'm turning to you, Lord. And then he says this, if you love Jesus more than your family, if you love Jesus more than your job, if you love Jesus more than your ministry, it has become an idolatrous relationship. In other words, First John says, you are invited the enemy of God in your bedroom. You've invited the enemy of God in your bedroom. And God, the Father loves us so much that he's jealous for our relationship and our devotion. Our devotion ought to be just him. Young people it shouldn't be games it shouldn't be TV. It shouldn't be even education or sports and everything else. Our devotion should be Jesus Christ, should be number one in everything, preeminent in everything. Preeminent in everything. To know Him is to love Him. In loving Jesus, flaws all that we are to do. So don't talk about what you're doing talk about how you love and how he has loved you the fourth thing and the last thing is he says reflect it's found in verse 7 reflect what is he calling us to reflect reflect on reflect on the prospects of the fellowship that is promised in heaven you see friends we love him now but then we will love him more fully when you lose your lo- when you lose when you lose your love you lose your light your minister your ministry in a dark world When you do not have love, you have a hole in your ministry or even in your spiritual life. Jesus cannot be a master of what is left. He must be a master of all. So he says, reflect on that relationship. Because you know, whatever is here that we're experiencing here is really a forward test of what will be when we go to be with the Lord Jesus. It's a forward test. How is your forward test? Is it sweet or is it sour? You know, in Texas, when I arrived in Texas, I realized very quickly that Texas is big, as you saw that on the map. I had not realized it was big. You know, and I had not realized that. But everything to me, as a little small boy, about 19 years old, it was, everything was huge. People were big. Everybody I looked up, I would just say, wow, the plates were big. The mills were big. The trucks were big. Everything was huge. As a matter of fact, when I'm back home, I joke with people and I tell them, you know, Texas is not a state. Texas is a country. Because you can take my little country of Uganda, which is about the size of Oregon, and place maybe five, six Texases. I mean, you can place Uganda, five, six, or seven Uganda, and put them in the country of Texas. And so the story was told about this Texas dude who had this big, massive truck. I don't know why people have those trucks. A 450, high tires, and he had a girlfriend. And so when you're driving behind them, you would think that this man had two heads. One was a cowboy head with a cowboy heart, and the other head was uh, a woman's head, because these two lovers sat in almost the same place as he was shifting gears and doing whatever he wanted to do, they were just riding in the same place. They were just riding. They were just enjoying I-10. Just going I-10, 1604. They were just on these roads. They were going all the way to Hunt, Texas, where the speed limit is now 80. And so they get married. And one day they were just going down the highway and married and And the wife looked at the husband and he says, look at us, look at us, look at us. And the husband says, what's the problem? I'm driving, I can't be looking at us. Got to look at it. What's the problem, sweetheart? The wife says, before we got married, we used to sit in the same place. Look at how far you are in this track. The husband thought for a few minutes and he said, Sweetheart, who moved? Who moved? If you're far away from the Lord and you have no passion for him, who moved? You see, if you don't have any passion for Jesus, You've lost that first love for Jesus. You're messed up in all other loves. I can see it in my own life that when I begin to lose that first love, even in my marriage, I can't love my wife rightly. I can't love my children rightly. I can't love God's people rightly. Because I've lost the first love through which everything else flows. When I lose my first love, I, I, I'm lost, I'm confused. I'm just going through the emotions. I get tired, I get irritated. Everything has become a duty, not a devotion. And brothers and sisters, I desire for all of us to have an ever-expanding love for God. In one of the other churches in, the, in chapter 3 of Revelation, this church thought he had everything going on. But you know what Jesus tells this church? He says, Well, because I'm pre, 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 preeminent on all the churches, I can see you. You think yourself sufficient, but I can see you wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Are you at that place this morning? The pursuer of your soul is wooing you back. Because the Bible warns us clearly that if we do not repent, He will come and take away our lampstand, our right to be in a place as light and salt for the world. Maybe the reason we can't talk about Jesus is because we don't love Him enough. I want to end with a, f- a few questions that you may want to ask yourself today. And these have really helped me. They are not original for me. Just a friend of mine gave these to me. Just six questions. Six questions you want to end. In this past week, just think about this past week. In this really past week, when did you really hear his voice? When did you really hear his voice in this past week? Good question. When? Question number two. In this past week, where did you see his hand? Where did you see his hand? Because, friends, Christ is preeminent over things, that he holds all things together, is not detached from everyday life. If we can't see him and can't see his hand, it means that we have chosen not to want to see his hand. So, where do you see his hand? Number three what did he reveal to you what did your lover jesus reveal to you this week number four how did he use you how did he use you how did he use you number five how did he lead you in a specific situation how did jesus lead you in a specific situation this week and lastly where did God put his finger on a problem issue? Let me repeat them very quickly. Six of them. When did, you really, when did you really hear his voice? Where did you see his hand? What did he reveal to you? How did he use you? How did he lead you in a specific situation? Where did God put his finger on an issue? You know, I love the Lord's Day. I love the fact that Jesus has given us this day. Because you know, we, we are covenant breakers. We break the covenant. God never breaks the covenant with his people. We're covenant breakers. But every Lord's Day, he allows us to renew our covenant with him. Our love for him. And I hope this morning that you would cry out to him. That as God's people, as this congregation we cry out to him, oh God we want to love you passionately we want you to be number one we want you to be preeminent in everything we do no matter the cost no matter the cost let us pray our Heavenly Father oh how we thank you for your great love for us that you have given us Jesus not only Jesus for then But you've given us Jesus for now. The real Savior didn't save us then. The real Savior saves us even now. And your scripture tells us that even he will save us in the future. Oh God, we come to you and cry to you. Would you save us now from ourselves? And would you help us to love you more than we love everything else? Would you give us a vision of your love for us? Would you renew us? Would you put self on our eyes that we may be able to see your great love for us? So that in turn, that we may love you with a love that is uncorrupted. Oh, Father, please hear our cry. We want to love you more than we love anything else in this world. And we want the world to see that we love you because you first loved us. Help us now as we turn away from all our idolatry and help us not to turn to resolutions but to turn to Jesus who is a very Savior and help us to be the light of the world because of our love for you And also love for one another. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.